0: Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging fields of data science and artificial intelligence. In this second episode of the fifth season, Frank and Andy speak to Chris Wexler about using AI to protect the vulnerable. Speaking of which, I would like to advise you, dear listener, that this show touches on some sensitive areas, namely child sexual abuse materials. If you have little ears or sensitive persons within listening range, you may want to pause or skip this episode. Don't say we didn't warn you, now on with the show
1: hello and welcome to data driven the podcast where we explore the emerging fields of data science machine learning and artificial intelligence if you like to think of data as the new oil then you can think of us as well car talk because we focus on where the rubber meets the virtual road and with me on this epic virtual road trip down the information superhighway as always is andy Leonard. how's it going andy good frank how are you brother I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. We've had a chaotic week at uh, Chateau Lavinia. Um, we, uh, we ended up going to Baltimore in the middle of the night on Wednesday. Wow. Uh, what was in Baltimore? Up, uh, <laughs> a really good pizza, but mostly we went because there was a, a, um, a situa- bad situation with a pit bull that was about to go to a shelter. Mm. And um, so we do a lot of uh, fostering and rescuing of dogs. So we just got her out and we've spent kind of the rest of the week all of our free time trying to find her a new home and she landed wow. in a new home on Saturday. Uh, and uh, she's doing great. So that's awesome. That
2: really It's really awesome y'all do that kind of stuff. Yeah. I always wanted to do it, but it only
1: and it's only been in the last you know maybe like five, ten years that I've been able to do it. So we've been doing that. Cool. The, the risk of fostering is primarily foster failing. Uh, so we we got our current dog count up to five. Um, wow! But twelve we my wife and I counted it, like twelve dogs have kind of come through our house in the last uh, two years. three years. Nice. So um, it's a good thing to do. We have the space to do it, and you know the time. This one we didn't know anything about, so we had to kind of keep her isolated. So we had like this airlock right. system. Um, she's a super sweetheart with people, but she's kind of iffy around other dogs and right. she, um, she's super strong. So once she had her mind to do something, it takes a lot of effort <laughs> to corral her. Uh, but she's super happy. She's the only dog in her new home and she has them wrapped around her little paw already. So good. Uh, I that's be.
2: Things are good um you know pretty uh quiet weekend here we have it's warmer weather uh we're recording this on the ides of March uh, debatably yeah, the, the of march. Ides of March yes, um depending on who you talk to it's probably the thirteenth but i don't I don't know but uh we're on the fifteenth of march twenty twenty one and it's starting to warm up our greenhouse is um is uh being put to use. We have some seedlings in there and that's always fun, and we've got some raised beds out to the side of the house. Those are, um, those are starting to um, – we're starting to see different things come up. They're kind of colder weather crops, so we started, uh, started a couple, three weeks ago. And it's you know it's been nice. I love getting outside and working, especially this time of year. The bugs haven't shown up yet. no um, so pollen. The, po- the pollen is really low. It's there, but it's really uh, low. It yeah. hasn't affected me yet. So Oh, good. Good. good that, uh, yes. <laughs> that time is coming, so let's enjoy it while we can. Oh, I totally agree. There's like two weeks a year where the weather in DC is wonderful,
1: and this is one yes. of those two weeks. That's so, it. That's it. Um, so today we have an awesome guest, um, and this is, uh, you know, in our in our intro, we always talk about where the rubber meets the road in terms of you know how AI can you know how data becomes AI and how AI can kind of help businesses and. Uh, I think this time we have an interesting uh, guest because now we're not just talking about helping AI, but we're helping society. Uh, and uh, you know, I'll make sure Bailey has a kind of intro speech. That if you have little little ears in the car, uh, you may not, you may want to uh, listen to this later or listen to this on a headset, uh, because we're going to be talking about human trafficking and all the sorts of horrible things that uh, happen to kids. And but he's doing some. Uh, he's doing some great work in terms of leveraging the power of AI to help, uh, child sexual abuse, uh, materials that are online, uh, as well as, um, you know, kind of human trafficking and all the bad things that happen, uh, with the technology. We like to focus on all the wonderful things, but there's a clearly a large underbelly to the internet. And, um, uh, I'm a big believer in transparency because what happens when you I grew up in New York City uh, cockroaches are inevitable no matter what you do uh, one thing is when the lights come on they all scatter so I, I think um, bad things tend to happen uh, in the shadows and um, you know so the more light you turn on uh, I think the better it is for society as a whole so with that I'd like to introduce Chris Wexler who is the CEO at Cran- Cranum, cra I we Covered this in the green room, but
3: Crunom, Crunom,
2: okay, Crunom. There Um, we
1: go. I I need to drink more coffee in the morning. Uh, But (laughs) Crunom is in the business of removing uh, uh, what I like this term that he uses is digital toxic waste from the internet and using uh, AI to identify. um, uh, I never heard this acronym before, but CSAM, child sexual abuse materials, and other awful content. Uh, to help content moderation. And his technology is already in use uh, by law enforcement and is now moving into the uh, the private sector. And there's a whole bunch of stuff we could talk about, but particularly what's interesting is a for-profit startup or a social benefit corporation. So we can talk about that, but I like to well, so welcome Chris to the show and, and thank him for putting up with some of the scheduling growing pains that we're having. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah no it's it's really great to meet you guys and uh under having five dogs i uh, definitely hearing the intro i understand i like to refer to my house as the event horizon if an animal comes in it never gets out so uh, <laughs> i understand
1: <laughs> yeah we uh our, our track record is 50 50 so um <laughs> i i I tell you if that dog was better with other dogs she would she would she would would have been exactly (laughs) wow so how did you get started in this and 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 your name uh how did the name of the company come about because i think that's an interesting story right there
3: yeah well crew is it's named in honor of uh human trafficking, child trafficking warrior in Thailand. Uh, Kru Nam, her name is two words, Kru Nam, uh, was a street artist in Chiang Mai and actually doing very well, very well-renowned. I mean, did a project with the street kids there um, and said, hey, just paint your life. And she could not believe what they painted. It was eye-opening. And when she realized that a lot of the karaoke bars in Chiang Mai were fronts for child sexual trafficking, she was compelled to do something. And unlike, I think, 99.9% of the population, including myself, she just marched into the the karaoke bars and pulled kids out. And she had done this 20 times and had 20 kids in her little apartment when the traffickers came and said, if you do that again, we're going to kill you. Uh, at which point she went north and uh, found a way to uh, do that and has constantly been evolving her tactics and what she's done for the last 20 years. And now she's saved thousands of kids. One of the first kids she rescued just uh, was one of the first stateless, was the first stateless child in Thailand to graduate from university. She's just been such an inspiration to us. And, you know, I think if you go from top to bottom in our organization at krunam we've all been confronted with what's going on in the world and been compelled to change what we're doing to try to help try to help others in the space of human trafficking and so it just made sense to all of us to name the company in her honor
2: well we talked a little in the green room about um about some of the other organizations you mentioned your brother had started yeah. a similar organization?
3: Yeah. Uh, sh- he and uh, David Batstone started Not For Sale uh, back in, uh, I think, 2006 or 2007. Um, and it was actually started because Kurnam reached out to them and said, uh, I've got 40 kids in a field and our lean tube burned down, and you said you might be able to help. So my brother wow. strapped $10,000 to his body to uh, go up to the field uh, and – so she could rebuild a space for him. So she even started that organization, but um, they have since been just bringing innovation to the field of human trafficking, uh, left and right, uh, and uh, and so it's interesting that Krunam was a is A joint venture with uh, a company out of London called Vigil AI, which has largely been in the uh, defense and uh, public safety space, like really doing proof of concept uh, uh, projects. So, like stuff that just you know, I'm I, the geek in me just gets so excited when I hear what they do. <laughs> um, but uh. Vigil AI was one side of it, the other side was just business, which was the venture group that not for sale a nonprofit started because what we what they realized was that the dichotomy of for-profit and nonprofit really didn't work when you're trying to solve really big problems. It's great right. for direct service, but uh, when you're trying to solve a really big problem, any bit of money that you get comes with um, comes with a lot of strings is either governmental, like a lot of uh, a lot of nonprofits are really, you know, pseudo governmental projects, right? Or from a large, uh, a large foundation that's donating money. So you're constantly changing who you are to keep your funding. And what they realized was, well, that, you know, Dave had a background in venture capital. And so they went and started companies uh, what, what they like to say is they were a cause in search of a company, and uh, the first one they started was Rebel uh, Drinks, which if you're ever in home um, or not home, Whole Foods is is uh, one of the most popular drinks at Whole Foods um, and around the many other retailers, but it's one of the fastest growing natural drink companies in the history of the U.S. Um, they're, uh, the sole, um, financial partner of Relocity, one of the big innovators in the corporate relocation space. Um, and if you're ever in like, say Amsterdam, or they just opened up in the Hague, um, uh, Dignita, which is a, uh, a brunch place, uh, that started in Amsterdam that was all about, uh, all about. Giving women who got out of trafficking into the red light district training in the hospitality business. Um, and now people who go eat there don't even realize it until unless they read you know the back of the menu because it's the top one of the top rated brunch places in all of Amsterdam. And so you know we like to say we we can't do good until we do well, so we're building world-class companies all built with social justice built into them at the scale of capitalism because it's a powerful tool. Um, and that's kind of why we went into, you know, we decided with AI that that was so important for us because AI is a is a amazing critical tool for the future. And when, you know, particularly in the age of COVID with all of us behind computer screens and not traveling, the tactics of, uh, of abuse changed and a lot more was happening online, a huge spike in CSAM, and the reason we say CSAM and not child pornography is that child pornography implies consent, and there is none in that situation, and so um, it's child sexual abuse. So that's why we say CSAM. Right. But as with COVID, what we're seeing is that is a shift of people paying for shows online, or and then they record it and then they share the images, and uh, that's a critical. So this is a critical new front. In, not even new, but a critical growing front in uh, fighting uh, human trafficking. And so uh, AI is the best tool to do that. And uh, my background is I, I was in the marketing technology side of things. Uh, I was with some of the largest ad agencies in the world over the last 20 years and really was on the other side of it. I was, uh, you know, one of the first customers of Facebook and one of the first customers of Google. And. Um, And constantly evolving my marketing tactics to, you know, sell one more garbage bag or one more motorcycle to a middle aged man. Um, and, you know, established data analytics practices to, to learn how to do that better. And, you know, eventually that evolved into, you know, AI projects. And, um, what I realized was I could do, I mean, that, that was a a good career, but, um, I could take those skills, and really make an impact, and so that's why I came on board to lead this new joint venture. And so it's an it's an exciting time for me because uh, I feel like a lot of my like history I've, uh, has been able to kind of come in here, and I have the skills that can really help uh, make a difference. And so uh, that's why we're doing Corona.
1: Wow, I mean, that's there's so much to unpack in there in terms of the AI and kind of the social good um, and the detection of this. But the first thing that comes to mind is that how do you train an AI uh, for this? Uh, and do people have to, how do you get people? Cause I know this, this, this has come up with a, uh, in Facebook, at least, uh, at least in the news, I'm sure the real story is a bit more nuanced and maybe probably even worse. Is that people have to go to counseling because they look at all this horrible material? Mm-hmm. And I mean, is that kind of the same thing here? Is that this, this stuff is labeled and like how do you how do you train an AI?
3: Yeah, I mean, answer? I'm glad you asked that question because that's exactly the that's what got me excited about um, Vigil's what the vi- work Vigil AI had done because we're we're actually bringing to market something that's been in uh, development since 2016. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's a perfect example of public private partnerships, um, working together. And so, um, I'll, first I'll tell the story of how it came to, and then I'll talk, I'll I'll definitely address how you do it because that is, a that's exactly the problem we're solving. Um, uh, back in 2000, I think 15, one of our co-founders, Ben who is a um, child sexual assault investigator with law enforcement in the UK. Um, and uh, one of the, you, know, you you always have those people in every organization that like, there has to be a better way to do this. There has to be technology to make this better. And he was spending 70 to 80% of his time going through confiscated materials to classify and understand what it was before he could even start investigating. Wow. And he's like, AI has to be better at this than I would ever be. You know, you get exhausted, you get tired, it's brutal. I mean, it's just emotionally and um psychologically draining work. Um, and he he uh saw Scott Page, our CTO and co-founder, speak and they and he said, Hey, let's figure this out. And a year later, probably they um formed a company and here's where the public part of it comes in is that, uh, back in 2013, uh, the UK home office, uh, which is their version of, for those who are not familiar, it's, uh, their version of, uh, kind of Homeland and FBI together. Um, and so they put, they started building a database for law enforcement called Cade which is child abuse image database, because they recognized, well, if we're constantly finding the same things, because obviously things get copied on the internet and in digital spaces, um, why don't we build a database and that'll speed things? Well, um, so they had that and it's a great tool. What Scott and uh, Ben did is on a pro bono basis, went in and said, hey, let's see you know, if we could use the latest in computer vision and AI to determine what the classifications are of this material um, and, and uh, speed things along. And, you know, that's where Scott's background in, you know, computer vision, you know, he was doing work 15 years ago on trying to brighten dark images, something that, you know, all every one of our, you know, iPhones does just on it on its own. He was building those kind of algorithms 15 years ago. He's an expert in uh computer vision and uh machine learning and deep learning. And so they put it in there not knowing if anything was going to work. And they literally had to bring their rig into a Faraday cage because this material is not connected to the internet in any way. And um and then the their back to back with law enforcement investigators that are the only ones that are allowed to actually view this material this is a legal material and so it was a weird situation where they're like okay here's what I see I'm in the near coding and, and working it out and and doing that and working on the're uh, working on it that way and when they ran it the kind of the first test and they got a the fairly high success rate, it was a Eureka moment that it could be done. Because, you know, um, AI is really good at going, that's a cat, that's a dog. Or, you know, that's a tree and that's a, a chair. It's less good at, you know, for all the talk of facial recognition, you know, that you, we all know about the the problematic nature of mistakes in facial recognition. And that's And there there's been millions and millions of examples that the uh, algorithm has seen. So and here we were asking the algorithm to determine implied behavior by body position and context, and frankly, didn't know if it was going to be possible. And so when it was at a fairly high percentage success rate off the bat, they knew they could fine tune it to the point where it would be usable. Um, And so by and they did all that work pro bono because they just wanted to do the they wanted to make the world a better place eventually became a paid project with the home office um, who have continued to be a really strong partner of ours in uh, in uh, at helping us not only with access to the K database which is the largest of its kind in the world I mean that's one of the problems for a Google or a Facebook is that if they find this material on their platforms they're not allowed to keep it um, right. and, and, or like, if there's a third party like us, you're not allowed to send that to another company for, to train their AI. And so the fact that this is being collected and, uh, the data, this horrific data is being collected and protected, um, by the home office and classified by investigators, uh, on a, uh, on a every day, by trained investigators, you right now, we only uh, train the algorithm on three vote verified, classified, classified data. And so, you know, it's a really gold standard level of training, and of data cleanliness, and frankly, data privacy, you know, that's a big issue here is that we don't want to, the last thing we want to do is extend the revictimization and misery of these kids that have already been victimized and then it was put into photos and so right it was a rare situation where uh the data was really really clean um and uh because it's so much work to train it um you know th- there's a limited um a limited number of people that can even do this work and so uh You know, it's just been so when, you know, that's where, you know, AI is really powerful um, and computer vision, because, you know, when you look at, you know, you you mentioned how um, brutal this is for content moderators, we really view ourselves as a digital protection company. Not only are we obviously protecting kids long term and breaking the cycle of violence, but um, we're protecting the content moderators. Because that is awful work. And, you know, studies have shown after 15, 20 minutes of doing work like this, your performance degrades horribly because Mm. it's emotionally exhausting. Uh, Computers don't get emotionally exhausted. Right. Um, They're really good at this. And, um, you know, I think the biggest like aha for me is that AI is not a good or a bad technology. Um, AI can be used for good and bad. It's null. It's a null technology. Right. Um, and if we can use it to do the right thing, that's great. And uh, that's what we're doing here. You know, as much as I liked, you know, selling, uh, selling motorcycles to middle-aged white dudes. Um, I think this is making a little, a little better, a uh, little better impact on the world. <laughs> This is true.
1: Um, what's fascinating here is, you know, kind of the, you know, there's a lot of problems with facial recognition, but I think a lot of the problems with facial recognition are, they're twofold. One, um, the input data is not good enough. And two, mm-hmm. uh, there's too much faith in it. Yep. Put into it. Um, uh, what, what are the consequences of a say a false positive in the AI models you build out?
3: Well, obviously um, we would never recommend any of our partners to rely solely on our algorithm because um, it it really, what the way we would recommend using our classifier is uh, to uh, th- th- there's a couple things. One is we want you to um, organize the data. So you so the content. Mo- so when, let's say, you know, maybe you're comfortable saying if it's a 99% confident because we feedback a confidence level on any image or vi- and, and video as well, which is actually I'm underplaying how important that is because the current technology is a great bit of technology that Microsoft built back in uh, 2008, called photo DNA, which is a, um, a photo hashing, uh, yeah. a perceptual hashing technology, which is essentially fingerprinting known images. Um, and it's done a lot of great work. Um, but the problem is, this material is getting recreated every day, or a logo get, gets added, or there's cropping, or a filter is applied, and uh, it might change the hash. And so um, it's a great technology, but it's not a complete technology. Um, our algorithm actually finds uh, previously unknown images because it's looking for patterns. It's looking for elements like that, and so then the worry is false positives, right? And frankly, right. false negatives as well. But um, so when you when you're in a situation where uh, where you're not one. 100% confident on anything, our feet output is a confidence level. So much like a human being, there are things, um, just because there's variation in the human body, a 25 year old might look 16, and a 16 year old might look 25. And so, um, and because it's been trained by humans, it makes the same, you know, has the same troubles with those kind of images. And so it might kick out a 70% confidence level for an image like that going, we think it is. And then in a situation like that, we definitely want a human being involved. I mean, any AI needs to have human checks. And so um, our classifier, first, we recommend um, organizing the data in a way so, um, a, a human content moderator isn't mode switching all the time. So you might get a lot of like images together. So, because, so you don't have the mental, um, uh, the mental, uh, you know, exhaustion of constantly going, is it this or that, or is this, or this this so you go, is it this, is it this, is it this, it helps, um, the human, um, pertain. We also highly recommend having, um, a essentially an an, a preparation warning so if a image is particularly heinous and they're all pretty bad but if they're particularly heinous you're not shocked by it so it's like it might even you know we recommend having a a, a alert coming up going prepare yourself for this and that again helps with the psychological preparation for that moderator Um, And then you want to build the right governance. And so we do governance work, too. We do consulting in the governance space because we have um, the company not only as great technologists, but also experts in AI governance and ethics um, and experts in human trafficking. So we can actually help kind of all along the way here. But um, uh, if you know, if it's every company is going to set a slightly different threshold. You know, like a Facebook, they've already banned this content because they don't allow nudity. So then the question is, um, is this CSAM or not? And if, you know, are they going to report it or not? Um, And so, you know, a false, a false, uh, a false positive clogs the law enforcement um, pipeline. And then law enforcement is weeding through a bunch of stuff that isn't CSAM. And so there's definitely a negative there um but uh let's say there it's a you might set a threshold at anything over a 98% confidence we're going to just automatically quarantine and move out or a 99% confidence My. anything between a 70 and a 95 um will have a single check anything um, 75 to 50 we might have a double check of having multiple people look at it um, it allows you to optimize your workflow in a way that is less traumatic for your moderators mm-hmm. um, and uh, and frankly once you're once uh, you know you see the output of the algorithm for any organization that's where you know you start you start making determinations like, okay, we're confident that it can do this, but we're not confident it can do that. Um, and uh, you start making, you know, you start adjusting your workflow to do that. And uh, you know that that's how AI is best is is making those decisions at scale. Um, and so that that's where, you know, we think. Like I said, we're not only protecting kids, we're protecting content moderators, and we're protecting these companies and their bottom line. Like uh, nobody wants to be on the front page of the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal saying that there's CSAM on your platform. And so um, uh, that's a really critical part of who we are. We're a protection company.
1: Interesting. I like the reframing of that. Like you're a protection company. I think that part of it, I think is the normalization of AI and business. Like it's not, you're not an AI company per se. You're a protection company, which I think just
3: happens to. Yeah. Use I, I think that was a determination of us early as we pulled together. This joint venture is, um, you know, if you build houses, you're not a hammer company, right. um, you know, because in we're, you know, as the technology evolves, we're going to be evolving our technology, technological use um, right. AI and machine learning and, and um, deep learning are all absolutely vital tools for us right now. Um, but, uh, and, you know, as we move into looking at grooming and uh, other things, natural language processing is going to be something we'll probably get into. Right. But
1: um, yeah, when you say grooming, uh, maybe for the benefit of folks don't know that, I think I know. Oh,
3: sure. Well, you know, one of the kind of one part of the cycle of trafficking uh, uh, children is either getting them okay with sending you images Mm -hmm. or trying to convince them to run away. So then you know and go, hey, run away and come to the bus stop and I'll come pick you up. And then they're uh, then they're trafficked. And so those are known patterns. And there's actually quite a few. Um, organizations and companies working on uh, on that of text detection, of understanding how to head that off before kids are even um, trafficked, which is the ideal thing. You want to head it off before they're they're hurt. And wow. so, you know, as you know, we talk about uh, uh, the we are we're the toxic waste management of the internet. That's part of what we do. Um, you know, I've been involved in. The internet for pretty much since the beginning. I was on Wall Street early on and scratching my head during the first internet bubble, going, I don't understand how these companies make money. Um, I, I, I literally was sitting at my desk, and the uh, CEO of I think it was furniture.com was sitting across from me. And he, He said, Hey, we're only losing 5% per transaction. And I went, what? And he, and I go, what are you going to do about that? And he said, I'm making it up in volume. Uh, and he was out of business. (laughs) Um, but, uh, I, it did make sense to me. Then I then got into the digital marketing space and I was there at the very beginning of that really booming. Um, But, you know, if you look at how technology gets adopted by society, in any big communication platform, it takes about 30 years for society to figure it out. The first 10 years is kind of promotion and early adoption. And if you look at that, that was probably a little quicker with the internet, but it was kind of where it was. Um, And then you have 10 years of growth and adoption. So really, maybe this, you know, I think maybe you best can put that in the social media years of the internet of and then you have 10 years of reckoning of of really understanding oh that actually did this to society and we're in those 10 years right now um we're, we're 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 seeing what it's done to our body politic we've seen what it's uh the the nasty side effects it's it's having in the human trafficking space, in uh, cyberbullying, like we're seeing the warts of a system that has by and large been a great societal positive. Um, and so it's not surprising that governments are talking about regulation and um, that companies are getting really, finally getting really uh, serious about uh, monitoring what's going on on their platforms. Um, because, you know, unfortunately this is, a, I mean, unfortunately or fortunately, Um, technology is moving a lot faster than our human brains and and joint society can handle. Um, And so uh, we, you know, that's why, you know, I'm compelled, you know, I was part of the early promotion i was part of the acceleration i thought oh boy this is all great and you know some of the algorithms that are that kind of drove the insanity like the cambridge analytica stuff like i looked at the cambridge Analytica, not literally cambridge analytica but, but similar technologies when i was doing marketing and going well we could probably do that i, I didn't do it but it, it you know I was part of the problem for a long time, and now I think it's important to be part of the solution.
2: Chris, these uh, these people engaging uh, in these activities in child trafficking, human trafficking. uh, There's a there's a lot of money in in this, and they're bad actors. And and, you know, Lord knows what what motivates people to do you know to do this sort of thing. But are you concerned at all uh, about your own safety.
3: Sure. I mean, that—that that is always a worry. Um, but uh, I think my mind is I'd rather be in danger than the kids. And so um, that is, that's a concern. It's a concern when we talk about crew nom. In fact, frankly, one of the reasons that um, the woman crew nom uh, is uh happy that we named the company after her she when we we asked her if we could do it she said well um the more famous i am the harder it is for the police to give me trouble so you know she That's lives in a real
1: she, she's worried about the police
3: yeah well i mean there are bad actors through the entire yeah. chain and so goodness um and so for her fame is a protection um i I couldn't live with myself if I didn't get out of the foxhole and uh, try to try to do something more. So for me, I was just compelled. And if uh, I'd rather be, I'd rather take the flack than the kids. So if I can uh, draw their fire, that's good for me.
1: So, so another question is, is that these probably are well-funded bad actors, uh, what sorts of countermeasures? I mean, are, are I mean, obviously, with the um, with the photo DNA and photo DNA, you know, is a, at this point a thirteen year old technology. Uh, but um, I would imagine that this is going to evolve into kind of, for lack of a better term, an arms race.
3: Yeah, I mean, but that's I think something where our, the the brilliance of Scott Page and Ben's approach to building the technology is it's reading what humans read and yeah. um if they want to obscure the images so much that it doesn't look like seesam i think we've won um and so um Really, all we're looking for is something that looks like it. And it's being you know, it's using computer vision in a way that it's perceiving it like a human would perceive it. Well, obviously computers look very differently. You know, the last thing we do is start with edge detection and then look at shading. And you know, that's not how we process images, but um literally it's looking at the image and going, What 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 would someone see when they look at this? Um and so on on many levels you can't obscure that. In fact, um, the algorithm has already like we've we already added a cla- added a classification because the algorithm kept finding cartoon magna and hentai versions of Csam wow. um, because it looked like it it went oh, this is the same only it's a cartoon and so um, while we haven't done the testing on deep fakes or even things that are made whole cloth, um, because that's coming too is like, created CSAM. And you know, I guess that's a it's like, I guess, like vegan meat, I guess it's ethically created CSAM, because nobody was damaged, but it's still damaging um, right. content. Um, yeah, the computer's going to see the same thing, because it look, it has to look right to humans. And as a result, that's what the the computer is going to look at. I, I have to assume that there will be, um, you know, There'll be some kind of countermeasure they come with, and then we'll just have to adjust. But um, because we're building it uh, on an end user perspective of how someone looks at it, um, it's relatively future proof versus um, a kind of a transitional technology like photo DNA that turns it into an anonymous hash. That's a little easier to feed. And obviously, there have been ways to make that stronger. But um, just the nature of this should be should be a little future protected the knock, knock on wood
1: interesting but well, i like the fact that you've already kind of thought about that because you know it's not like you're running around saying we solved it we solved it only to have the one of the most powerful forces in the universe in my opinion is the law of unintended consequences yep
3: yep um, well i think the, the one thing we know is we're not perfect and you know I mean, anybody who's done technology and particularly innovation and technology you go okay i've got two years how do i how do i keep evolving how do I keep making right. it better? I I have that terror for 20 years in marketing. Like you'd, you'd build something and go, okay, I've got two years to build a new one. Um, and so, uh, that is, that, that's very much our mindset and, you know, we're, we're lucky we have, you know, a, a strong technology team that's, that is constantly looking at edge cases of how to do things. Um, I would take, uh, Scott Page and team, uh, going to war uh with anybody and you know so there you go <laughs> yeah a great
1: answer um all right so this is the point in the show where we um uh talk about uh, the pre-fab questions we have the pre uh, questions we have so Perfect. uh you mentioned kind of your early days in the dot-com era and i'm sure we could swap some stories too because i was at a, a couple of startups at the time uh, how did you find your way into data and AI? Did you find you, uh, did you find, did data find you or did you find your way into data?
3: I found my way into data. Um, I, I, and I very much, it's funny because, um, I chose a college based on the lack of a math requirement. <laughs> um, I, I always had the skills, but I didn't really like doing it, but, um, even in college, I realized the power of data. And so this is way back in the day. Now, it's not, not so far back that we didn't have computers. I, like, I, when I, just to date myself, I got my first PC while I was in college. So it was, it was the age of moving off of mainframes into uh, having a computer sitting on your desk. Um, and um, I was getting a degree in political science at American University in D.C. And um, I took a campaign management class. And um it, it was kind of crazy. They they would do this thing over J term. It was two weeks long, a full you know three credits, and you'd work. You'd have class from eight a.m. to six p.m. And then at the end of it, you had to present a two hundred page group paper. So wow. you did that in the off hours, and they really wanted to simulate the last few days of a campaign and how brutal that was. Well, I got told that I was working on the second district of Utah and i had to figure out the voter turnout approach well i had no idea what to do like i i was you know 21 years old i didn't know so i went down to the federal election committee um got the precinct level data and built a spreadsheet and it was back it may probably wasn't even excel it was probably lotus one two three i don't remember but um and i loaded every precincts data for the last four years the last four elections I'm um, so much so that, you know, the processing power is so bad. Like I had to hit F nine and then wait 20 minutes for it to recalculate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but wow. um, it it was a way for me to, I was like, this is the only way I'm going to figure out what precincts to target. Um, And so it was technology was always a, re- a result and I needed a way to get to it. It was a tool. And so whether it was that or, um and then it was you know building models based on uh, on wall street and when i say models nothing like today's insanity like very light models uh, by today's standards that i was doing on wall street or and then in uh and then w- once you have that basis uh, and and lack of fear of how the technology works then you're just looking for good data to make better decisions and how to how to um, have clean data so you can make a smarter decision and so that just became kind of my superpower in my career and so it just kept going and going
1: So for the kids listening uh f9 is how you used to update spreadsheets now it happens so fast it's it's automatic
3: yeah yeah and and i remember when i'd like accidentally hit f9 and go well there goes an hour Uh, Chris, what would you say is your favorite
2: part of your current gig? Uh,
3: It's that I'm helping. I'm helping people that can't help themselves right now. Um, And, and I'm helping detoxify the internet for people who uh, are going to run into this stuff. And so. Uh, there's a real joy in knowing that the output of what I do is going to benefit a lot of people.
1: So we have a number of complete this sentences. Uh, When I'm not working, I enjoy blank.
3: Baseball. I'm a huge baseball fan, Um, fan of my Minnesota Twins, which means we just hit 6,000 days of losing playoff baseball. So I'm obviously a glutton for punishment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that can be rough well that,
3: that uh, certainly can it, be it, it, I'm we've a... lost literally 17 times in a row to the yankees which i hated the yankees before i can't you, I, hmm. I, I i i uh i was taught as a young child not to hate but um i think hating the yankees is a is a virtue Oh no. I'm a yankee fan, but I'll let it go. I right. was gonna say, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I and I was and I was liking you up until now. I oh well wow.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> They hate us because they ain't a us. Braves? That's what that's what every Yankee
2: fan says Oh my goodness. <laughs> so uh, Braves and uh Nationals
3: here. Um yeah so yeah i i was in dc i lived in i went to au and i lived in dc pre-national so i would always go down to the uh the orioles would always play a series at rfk stadium yeah in uh right before the season and i'd always go down and and have and for some reason i don't know why it was cold and the hot dogs were cold but it didn't matter i still went
2: <laughs> <laughs> awesome stuff the um the, the fourth uh, question four is our second fill in the blank I think the coolest thing in technology today is blank
3: there's so many things I think the coolest thing is the application of AI to technology uh, tra- uh, travel and um driving um I'm looking forward to the day uh, when uh we are not trusting another human being on the road not to crash into us.
1: That segues nicely into the next question. Uh, I look forward to the day when technology can blank.
3: I I am, I, I, as also, you know, baseball, I'm exposing how nerdy I am. Baseball and, and also Star Trek, um, I'm looking forward to the day when uh, uh, they can teleport me to, uh, to uh, a warm climate in the middle of January and it doesn't take 12 hours. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, all right, so you mentioned baseball. If, we can, if we can move a if we can move a quark six inches, I figure we can move me to Tahiti. Oh, I like
1: that idea. I like that idea. <laughs> um, since you mentioned baseball and Star Trek, what about the Niners?
3: This is the, an obs- the San Francisco 49ers?
1: No, nah, this is a, this is an obscure um, uh, Star Trek baseball nerd. Uh, reference.
3: Too. Oh, the Niners! Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> I forgot about them. <laughs> yeah, that that you would think that that would be at the forefront of my brain as um as like like the Reese's peanut butter cup of my pop culture experience. Right,
2: right, right, but, right.
3: But but I do remember watching that. Much like when you hear National Public Radio talk about sports, right, where they go the local nine play a game of baseball today. It's, it's just like, Oh boy, th- th- these people don't really know what they're doing. Yeah,
1: sports ball. <laughs> um, so for those, for the 90% of the audience who probably didn't get the reference is we're referring to deep space nine and deep space nine was the first spinoff from kind of the traditional Star Trek franchise. Uh, it, it's, what I think it's still the high watermark for Star Trek. Uh, yep. if you carefully watch my live streams behind me there's a model of deep space nine and uh nice. the captain cisco who is in my mind it's not my question was was never kirk or picard it was you know cisco versus anyone else uh but he was a big baseball fan and that features prominently and i've been re-watching deep space nine so this is why it's fresh in my head uh is he's a big baseball fan in a time when baseball's kind of really waned and one of the episodes they were playing uh a, a game and the team that they they kind of set up was called the Niners and then it was against uh somebody's it was against Captain Cisco's rival uh from the academy or something like
3: that yes yes oh my gosh I had forgotten about that completely yeah that was that. that was
1: a great episode that was because because most of Deep Space Nine's pretty heavy kind of existential questions. But every once in a while they had kind of a lighthearted show and that was that was one of them. That and the one where they hang out in Vegas. Which is bizarre.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we could talk Star Trek for hours. Yes. Uh, I could tell. I could just tell. (laughs) Our, our next question is: uh, Share something different about yourself, Chris, but uh, we remind everyone, not just you, that it's a family podcast. We want to keep that clean rating. Uh,
3: I, th- boy, uh, everything's, I, I have a view that everybody's different. And so um, I'm sure that, you know, it, it actually reminds me of a story when my sister was going off to college. My dad hated bacon. Um, I know there are people out there that don't like bacon. And so we always oh, wow. had tuna fish with pancakes uh, because my mom's like, we need protein. And I remember the look on my sister's face when she said, wait, this is weird. What else is, what else do we do? That's weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I think, uh, the biggest thing that's different about me is that um, I've kind of lived in every kind of phase. I I have a deep experience in every phase of kind of the American demographic. I grew up in a kind of an established urban neighborhood, but went to a very poor urban um, high school. But at the time I was attending a, Affluent suburban megachurch, um, all while having farming grandparents. And so it's been a blessing uh, for me in my life that I accidentally didn't have a bubble. And so it allowed, it's, it's, it taught me a superpower of empathy that um has allowed you know allows me to look at like the current political state right now and go, people, we just need to meet each other. Right. Because we're a lot more similar than you think. Yeah. Um and uh but I think that that's you know th- that unique background that I I can thank my parents who literally decided to uh decided to support Minneapolis and they they live not too far from where George Floyd was murdered. Mm. Um they decided to support the community, but um, you know, and uh, so I think that that's probably the biggest difference about me that you would never know unless uh, we talked about it. Interesting. Very cool.
1: And the next question, uh, where can people learn more about you and, and, and what you're working on?
3: uh our website which is still in a nascent state right now but we'll be rolling out a new website soon is at crewnom.co okay. um you can sign up there linkedin is another good spot for us um if you follow us on linkedin um and uh just keep watching because we'll uh we're, we're gonna we're we're ramping up our our content work
1: <laughs> cool cool
3: awesome.
1: i sent you a linkedin invite this morning so
3: <laughs> excellent excellent um, yeah, it's
2: very important work. I'm going to try and connect with you as well. That's um, we uh, we are sponsored by Audible, and you can get a uh, free audiobook on us if you go to thedataDrivenBook.com. And then if you sign up and you know subscribe to Audible, and I think I've got like the maximum platinum-coated gold subscription because I have uh, myself and two others in the house, two teenagers that love Audible books. Uh, So because of that, we ask uh, all of our guests, if you have a favorite audiobook, if you don't listen to audiobooks, do you have a favorite book uh, recommendation? You don't have to limit it to one. We'd love to know what you think.
3: Well, this is a book I've literally purchased for people many times and it is not what you would expect. It is called The Power Broker by Robert Caro. Um, It is the telling of Robert Moses's New York who started as someone who wanted to build parks for moms in, uh, in New York City and was heralded for it and took that power and corrupted so much Uh, in the world, but uh, just he literally moved millions of people's apartments in New York and has formed his thinking, really formed the modern freeway system around the country. It is a fascinating look at power corrupting an individual at how um, public works impact society. It is just a masterwork of how the world works and so i highly recommend it and it's perfect for audible because it's about a thousand pages so um there's a there's a lot of jogging you can get done while listening to the power broker
1: interesting (laughs) yeah i grew up in new york city and uh you know years after kind of robert moses and he was no one had a neutral opinion on Robert Moses, nope. there, People either hated him or admired him. I wouldn't say love him, no, because uh, but they admired like his ability to get things done. Um, you know, and for those that don't know, I mean, ultimately he's the one that kind of turned the interstate highway system in the U.S. from kind of a way to move goods from city to city or effectively let's be real i mean it was a defense project that was labeled a civilian project
3: exactly like the internet sure yeah
1: um uh to into kind of the the daily commuting engine that it has become across the states
3: i don't have a Uh, better uh, answer he was the brilliant he was the brilliant one that uh he he would write up the plans so he'd be ready to move faster than anybody else and so like on there are so many practical things on how to get things done right? that are just fascinating and thinking systemically it's, it's just, and, and you know, unfortunately how certain groups were excluded from the, from the, and actually damaged by what was going on. It's just a, it's a fascinating look at the history of that time. It's, it's a brilliant masterwork by Robert Caro. Right. The other book I would highly recommend is not for sale by David Batstone. It is, uh, the pr- really what started everything that we are at Crunam, and okay. it tells. Stories about human trafficking, but not in a way that is so heavy. It talks, it shows the hope and the and the power of doing something. And so, highly recommend "Not for Sale" as well. That's a that's really the book that started a movement, and then eventually started this company. So, I probably should have started there, but I love the Power Broker so much.
1: Yeah, I definitely check that out because there's like a I grew up kind of in the post Robert Moses New York, and you know it was interesting from from someone who grew up kind of not on the island of Manhattan. Uh, For those who don't know, basically Robert Moses wanted to put a freeway straight through Manhattan, but the power center of New York city is Manhattan. The boroughs are kind of an afterthought. So he was able to kind of, you know, pillage the boroughs, the outer boroughs, but not necessarily Manhattan. Manhattan was kind of his waterloo where this place, that's my, recollection from older family
3: members was that's exactly well if you look at any freeway system in any city mm-hmm. you have the same situation like uh, if you look at dc there were power brokers through the entire city that's why there is a beltway the that's freeway true. is supposed to right, go right down pennsylvania and instead it kept getting pushed out a, ro- a road and another road and another road and there was a beltway right um i, you I think you the beltway in, uh, touches
1: the the boundaries of dc Exactly, or barely. And at all. Uh, if you look at,
3: yeah, if you look at like my hometown of Minneapolis and mm-hmm. um, St. Paul, uh, they put the major freeways right through the heart of the African American communities and took out all the African American businesses. Oh. Um, and uh, I think if you look at the history of where freeways have been replaced. You see who was powerful and who was oppressed at that time. It's a fascinating. Right. It's one of those things you just don't realize until you kind of dig into it. Right.
1: Well, my grandfather went from liking Moses to despising him. Like within.
3: Well, and I think uh, you do the same thing while reading the book. Interesting. Uh, you <laughs> go from you 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 go from oh what a good man to what a power hungry right. um, monster. And that's the part of the brilliance of it. Interesting.
2: Chris, I want to ask you another question, uh, a little bit of a follow up here. And I know we're pushing time, so I apologize. The, um, I, I'd like to ask you about the book, Not For Sale and the concept, yeah. and you brought up faith. I, I'd like to explore that intersection.
3: Uh, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, I, I grew up in in the church. Uh, and, you know, that was a core part of who I was and am, um, the, my faith. Uh, and, you know, I think when you look at, I think the phrase in the Bible is, uh, you know, uh, however you treat the least of these, you treat me. Uh, and that's uh, that's been a uh, that's been a motto that uh, I've carried through my entire life, uh, and I'm glad to be doing it with Kurnam.
2: Certainly, trafficking victims uh, could fall into that category very easily, being yes. treated as the least of these. Exactly. Well, yeah. awesome. Okay. I, think you're I appreciate doing... that answer. Yeah, I, I
1: appreciate uh, appreciate your time and putting up with these bugs. Um, and we'll let the nice uh, the the glitches that we've had, including my um, my machine crashing yet again on another PC. Uh, time to reevaluate ZenCaster. Um, but with that, I'll let the nice British lady and the
0: show. Thanks for listening to Data Driven. We know you're busy, and we appreciate you listening to our podcast. But we have a favor to ask. Please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Amazon Music, Stitcher or wherever you subscribe to us. You have subscribed to us? Haven't you? Having high ratings and reviews helps us improve the quality of our show and rank us more favorably with the search algorithms. That means more people listen to us, spreading the joy. And, can't the world use a little more joy these days? Now, go do your part to make the world just a little better and be sure to rate and review the show.